God replied, for the sake of those ten, I will not destroy it. As I reflected on that line, one of the places where my mind went was thinking about how many people were probably living in Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's think about ratios here. So if these were decently sized cities, then we're, I think we could safely say there's a thousand people that are probably living in the two cities. So if God is willing to spare a thousand people because of 10, we can say 1% of the people are sufficient to bring about God's mercy and power among the 99% that are not with him. Let's go ahead and crank up the numbers to another reasonable number. So suppose Sodom and Gomorrah had 10,000 people living between them, which I think is not unreasonable to think. If God is willing to spare 10,000 people because of the sake of the 10, this is 0.1%. If 0.1% of the people are faithful and beseeching God and praying for mercy, he will have mercy I was reflecting a few days ago, and this is part of the fruit of reflecting with the book, I Believe in Love, but he was basically saying, there are, there are more people than we think or imagine that are faithful and that have this relationship with God, and they are completely hidden from the public eye. The only thing that catches our eye or the public eye are the vast amount of things that we can be pessimistic about or discouraged about as we see evil so clearly having its way with our culture and with the world in many different ways. It could be really easy to think, oh my gosh, like what is the world going to come to? We, we are certainly doomed. If we think about even 0.1% of the world, if even 0.1% of the world is honestly seeking God, honestly coming to him and asking for mercy for themselves and for the world, God says, for the sake of the 10, for the sake of the 0.1%, I will spare the world. I was sharing um, that I have just watched the John Paul II documentary on the fall of communism. And this is so incredibly powerful because when that Iron Curtain was established after World War II and there was that Cold War, there were just two very different worlds. There was the world behind the Iron Curtain and then there was the Western and free world. And behind the Iron Curtain, it was incredibly bleak and it looked like communism was not going to be falling anytime soon. All it took... <laughs> was a man who decided to radically open himself to the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority that was given to him. All it took was for this man to land in Poland in June of 1970, no, 1980, I think, on the eve of Pentecost. And John Paul II, his first words in this most significant homily in the, in the thick of the Iron Curtain, he says, let the Holy Spirit come down. Let the Holy Spirit come down upon this land. And this one spark was enough to say, it was enough for the people to rally around and to say, we are stronger than the enemy wants us to think. We are strong in our numbers. The enemy loves to 
divide so that he can discourage and so that he can make us believe that we are outnumbered or that the fact that we are outnumbered means that we will certainly perish. And John Paul II is that reminder of one man aflame with the Holy Spirit, calling down the Holy Spirit in the midst of darkness, in the midst of oppression is enough to turn the tide. And sure enough, within 10 years, communism had fallen, not just in Poland, but along the whole Iron Curtain. But it begins with people who are radically available to the Holy Spirit, radically desiring the Holy Spirit. This is music to a priest's ears or anyone that is, that is honestly seeking the Lord. When someone comes up to you as the apostles approach Jesus, this is probably the best question that the apostles or the disciples ever asked Jesus or the best request, desire that they've ever bring, brought to him. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. If we get this one thing right, we get everything else right. Because if we honestly pray, and this kind of prayer that Jesus is teaching us is, is a kind of prayer where we're asking with perseverance and with confidence to the Father. Asking especially for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it awesome that Jesus says, ask and you will receive? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Not sometimes, not most of the time. It will be. It will always happen. This is that most powerful prayer of come Holy Spirit. The prayer that is always answered. And if we ask God for this one thing that is the most important thing, everything else clicks into place. Whatever the burdens we ourselves are personally carrying, whatever burdens our families are carrying, Whatever the burdens that our society and our parish are carrying, it all begins the resolution of these things, the resolution of the darkness, the bringing of the light comes with this prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill my heart. Come Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. Jesus, darkness is not dark for you because you are the light. Jesus, we welcome your light into the darkness of our hearts, into the darkness of our lives. We welcome you, Jesus, and we call down your fire and your light into the darkness of our times, trusting that even for the 1%, even for the 0.1%, you will have mercy on the whole world. Jesus, we call down your Holy Spirit right now. We call down upon your mercy upon us. Burn up in our hearts any spirit of discouragement, despair, darkness, and oppression. Lift those burdens now, Jesus. Jesus, we call down your fire, and your fire is about to be made radically present on this altar. Jesus, as we taste you, as we touch you with our lips and with our tongue, burn up anything in us that stifles our faith, our hope, and our love. Anything that stifles that fire, Jesus, we ask you to consume it in yourself, for you are the fire. Jesus, give us your fire. Give us your Holy Spirit. Come down, Holy Spirit. Come down upon me. Come down upon this land.